Welcome to Sound Bites, here on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Denzel Mitchell, sitting in for Mark Steiner. Today we have David Carter, who is a former NFL player, food justice and animal rights activist, uh, Greg Brown, who's a co-owner and founder of Land of Kush, a vegan restaurant here in Baltimore City, and Brenda Sanders, executive director of the Better Health, Better Life organization, one of the directors for the Open Cage Alliance, an animal advocacy organization in Baltimore that hosts the annual Vegan Living Program, solidarity organizing with other social justice movements, including Save the Kids and Black Lives Matter. And she's also co-organizer of the Vegan Soul Fest. So I have you guys, you three here today to, for us to talk a little bit about veganism and the upcoming Vegan Soul Fest here in Baltimore. Um, uh, so David... Um, could you please introduce yourself and, and uh, talk to folks how you journeyed into veganism? All right. So uh, my name is David Carter, also known as the 300-pound vegan. That's my Instagram <laughs> handle if y'all want to hit me up, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, but I'm a former NFL player. I started out eating meat like everybody else. And uh, I started suffering from illnesses like tendonitis, early onset arthritis, high blood pressure, and, you know, and nerve damage and all kind of stuff. And... Uh, you know, I knew I had to make a change, and um, my wife had been vegan for some years before me, and I was like, man, you know, I ain't gonna do that. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna be weak and skinny like everybody else. And so, uh, you know, uh, after I was like, I kept dealing with these issues. They just kept, you know, causing me problems. I couldn't do the workouts that I wanted to do. I couldn't do like bench press and stuff like I wanted to. My bench press it went down like a lot. It went down to three fifteen really? or five. And for me, that's not a lot, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I watched this documentary called Forks Over Knives. And in the documentary, for, for, you know, a lot of people don't know about the documentary, it tells you, like, you know, it, it breaks it down. You know, what's more what's more extreme? You know, changing the food that you eat or going undergoing surgery or chemotherapy for cancer or whatever else, dealing with heart disease, diabetes, stroke, you know, obesity. And um, I found out in that documentary that, Milk and dairy actually cause um, high, um, uh, inflammation and mm-hmm. tendonitis in the joint. Mm-hmm. And when you break down the word tendonitis, you break it down tendon, which just means joint, and itis means inflammation. And I was like, wow, I'm causing all of my own illnesses. Hmm. You know, I'm drinking this milk, you know, drinking milkshakes and eating like four or five steaks in a day, you know. Just really? You was <laughs> actually smashing four or five steaks in a day? <laughs> Bruh, like chicken, like eating like three chicken breasts, <laughs> you know, just trying to keep, and drinking a milkshake just to keep the weight on. And, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're playing football, you work out all day, every day. That's your job. You know, you you practice for three hours. I remember those times, and I practiced when I was playing for Arizona, I was losing 15 pounds of weight a day. <laughs> just wow. I would weigh in at 300, and I would come back in at 285. You know, really, and same day. A, yeah, I had to get IVs for water, but that's just like the norm. But um, yeah, man, and I realized that um, eating all these meat and dairy products, I was causing all of my own illnesses. And I mean, if you look at society, that's what's happening in the world today. Is mm. you know everybody's causing their own illnesses due to a lack of um, knowledge when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. You know. Like ninety percent of black people, <laughs> and Indian, uh, in, like Indian people, Mexican people, lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, yeah, man, that's yeah, that's dope, man. And uh, Brenda, I, I know we've kind of met each other through concentric circles, so it's finally good to meet you and, yes. and see you. Um, you know, and it, I 
what I can see is it seems that, you know, veganism has always been uh, in the community, but not necessarily talked about uh, other than the folks who were actively practicing it. Um, you know, how do you see things are are now? I mean, I think now there's a there's an Olympian weightlifter, Kendrick Ferris, you know, who's a who's a vegan. Um, he placed 11th in Rio as a weightlifter. So I think that bursted a lot of myths for a lot of people. But, you know, what are your thoughts about veganism now? Yeah, so um, I've been eating this way, eating plant-based for about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. So um, I was doing it before it was uh, popular. Before <laughs> and it was cool. Before it was easy. Um, and, uh, what, but I have seen that, you know, that this plant, this way of eating, this plant-based way of eating and even like being more in harmony with the planet and, you know, is, is definitely like a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And I've known people who, you know, within different groups uh, who were vegan vegan for years and they just didn't talk about it right, right you know right, right. um and so it's now it's taking on a lot of momentum because again there are a lot of celebrities who are vegan there's a lot more information out there around veganism and it's getting a lot more press it's in the public more mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is people are ready for something different mm-hmm. you know and i've found in doing my work here in baltimore that people in baltimore are sick and tired of being sick and tired right, right. and um, and so that's why all this momentum is picking up with um, with veganism and with all of these different events and projects and programs and stuff right. that we have going on here because people are ready for something different. Right. Greg been pushing that, that good vegan soul food for a good little while now, huh? Absolutely. So, you know, Land of Kush has been open for about five and a half years now. Um, and, yes, we've been pushing it. And part of the objective was to get people who weren't just vegan and vegetarian into the restaurant and introduce them to the lifestyle. So that's why we did a whole soul food um, theme, which was really my wife's um, idea, you know, because I was just cooking tempeh and noodles and tahini sauce. Right, you right. Know, I'm kind of a raw that, dog vegan, like, right. you know, I'm a little hardcore. That, 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 90s, that 90s vegan? Yeah, that 90s vegan, that single guy vegan, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that was me, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I eat just about anything if it tastes good, you know what I'm saying? So right. if you throw, you know, some vegan stuff together, like, that's how I always cook. Right. But then, you know, Nigel was like, you know, okay, let's, okay, you don't have to throw barbecue sauce on everything, on everything. but, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> You I shave for yeah. sister and appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did the vegan thing for a while, too. And for a long time, it was just salad, 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 right. salad, yeah. salad. You know, but, you know, you can get in the kitchen and really chef up some stuff. Yeah, yeah. And bring up folks over to the house. And if you don't say nothing, they don't say nothing. They eating. Right. Good. And, it's and, good. Like, and it's good. They yeah, I used good. to take it to work. I mean, that's how I really jumped off. It's like I would take food to work and experiment on people and just <laughs> and let them, you know, let them taste it or whatever. Because they knew, they kind of knew what I was doing, but they didn't really know what it was. And you know, they were like, oh, this is good. This is all right. Mm-hmm. Then when we started doing business, people were supportive of it. Right, right. All right, so tell me about the Vegan Soul Fest. So what, what is that? How long has it occurred? What, 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 what can folks expect? When is it? You know. Yeah, so that's our baby. Um, that was conceived by uh, myself and Nigel Wright Brown from the Land of Kush. Um, and we got together and we're just like, what can we do? What can we contribute to um, to our community to help with a lot of these problems that plague our community? Mm-hmm. You know, the health disparities, the food access issues. Like, what can we contribute? Uh, we came up with the idea to do a festival. We had no idea that it was going <laughs> to jump off the way that it did. I mean, I don't think anybody could have 
predicted that Baltimore would really, really, you know, be so excited about a vegan festival here mm-hmm. in the city. Um, and so we bring together, um, you know, speakers who talk about different aspects of the vegan lifestyle. We bring out um, vegan chefs and caterers to do cooking demos that run back to back. Um, we have musical performances that have been added to the lineup now. So that's really exciting. Um, and then, you know, just all the vendors, 100 plus vendors are going to be out there, you know, with every food and drink and service and, and product that people can think of, um, as well as nonprofit organizations that are out there to uh, give people information and resources for how they can make this transition easier. We got the Veggie Village for the children to go and do like educational fun activities. I mean, mm-hmm. we really okay. just cover every aspect. Music. And it's, it's music. Yep. We, we have performers that Who's are going to be coming out. Um, so we have have um, Mother Queen, we have Poet Deep, we have um, Watoto from the Now, of course, okay. and then we have Buddha Base. So these are people who are um, local to Baltimore, people who, you know, have been moving and shaking in the Baltimore, in and around the Baltimore community, and so it's definitely going to be um, exciting. And wh- when is it again? So um, Vegan Soul Fest is going down on August 20th, this, August Saturday, 20th, um, this Saturday, from 12 to 7. All right. At B Triple C Baltimore City Community College, okay. um, which is exciting. We got the campus, um, the and whole campus, the got whole the whole campus, campus locked yeah. down. Yeah, it's and we will vegan need invasion. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's at twenty nine hundred one um, Liberty, Liberty Heights, Heights. Avenue. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I read somewhere, David, that you eat ten thousand calories a day. You still eat ten thousand calories a day, and and if so, I need to hear what that looks like and who's cooking. It's a, oh shoot. So I was on that. Uh, on that bachelor cooking myself because my wife was like, I'm not cooking that much. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, man, like eight when I'm playing and trying to like doing my gain weight uh, phase, trying mm-hmm. to eat anywhere between eight to 10,000 calories a day. And it's like a job, man. It's a, it's a lot of planning. Cause that's m- what most people are eating per week. Like if you're getting enough food, you're eating about 2000 calories a day. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Like most people. So that's o- over the course of a week. De- yeah, depending right. on you know, depending on weight. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times well, habit and, and sometimes like yeah. if you're training, it depends on you know, you, you go through the measurements, it depends on weight and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. The range. It, you got yeah, and you gotta re- be real too. A lot of people are eating more than two thousand yeah. calories a day. True, true, yeah, this you, is true. Yeah, you're healthy. You you do, you know, farmers markets and stuff. We talking about people who eat McDonald's Right, 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 money. right, right. Anyways. <laughs> but uh yeah, man, eight to ten thousand calories a day. So I have a Vitamix, you know, shout out to Vitamix, thank you for <laughs> Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for for being you. Right. <laughs> yeah. But Vitamix uh, definitely changed the game. Right. <laughs> and bro, like I, I I have to be creative and you know, and and make up a lot of my own like I make smoothies and I'll put like um you know wheat bran or something like that mm-hmm. wheat germ in there and and that's a lot of calories and a lot of carbs and protein and then i'll put oatmeal or and i'll put uh sunflower seeds and i'll grind i'll put it in the vitamix and add fruits and, and stuff like right. that to, to and dates to sweeten it mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a ton of protein in there and i right. just and i drink and i drink that in between meals i do stuff like that and drink it in between meals but Every meal, I try to have it at least like a, a thousand calories. Just, wow. just you know, but it's all like it's mainly all whole foods, you know. Like right. nuts, so it's like seeds, a pound, grains. pound and a half of like beans and rice for yeah, a complete like a protein. Of, like a can of beans, like mm-hmm. a can of like non-GMO beans, and, mm-hmm. you know, non-GMO beans, you know, and uh, organic beans, and you know, brown rice. 
like a cup or two of brown rice, mm-hmm. and you know, and I put like like I make my own cheese and with nutritional yeast and cashews. Right, right. And that's a ton of calories and right and protein and protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and and then I can do like not. I do vegan nachos, which is one of my favorites, and that's loaded with protein. I do brown rice and beans, uh, per, uh, you know, nutritional yeast and stuff like that. And I, you know, I have to be creative. And shoot, I mean, it ain't no different. It ain't nothing new under the sun. Black right. people been doing this for a long right. time. So. Making do with what we got. Doc- right. Doctoring it up, as my folks used to say. Right. You're doctoring it up. Um, so, uh, Greg, why don't you give us a uh, a uh, quick idea about some stuff folks could, could put together from the farmers market. Some seasonal, some seasonal dish that you could do to be vegan. Uh, well, you could just go to the farmers market and grab some vegetables. Anybody trying to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody should be trying to do that. I mean, I mean, it's real easy. Like David said, like one of the things that I that I did, and I always talk to people about this, especially um, when I was working a nine to five. Um, I would always pre prep grains and beans at the beginning of the week, so I might mm-hmm. cook a cup or two mm-hmm, of whatever mm-hmm. grain. Um, it might be rice or whatever, millet, quinoa, cook that at the beginning of the week, and then I'm always ready to do a quick stir-fry. So I can go to the farmer's market, grab some mustard greens, some carrots, um, beets, you know, depending on the season. Like, I try to I try to eat according to whatever season it is, and then mm-hmm. I try to cook according to the season. So it's summertime now, stir-fries, grilling, um, maybe a quick deep fry. That's about it. But um, a lot of times, like I have those pre preps already done, and then I'll have some onions already chopped up, and then I'm just mincing garlic, and then cutting up whatever vegetables I get, whatever I want to pick up. I just picked up what some spring onions. Um, I picked up some mustard greens because I love the spice in the mustard greens, and you know that's a quick stir fry. Um, that you can throw together. And then if I don't pre-prep, then I always have quick cooking things around me. Vegetables, you know, you know, we gather at the farmer's market. You're supposed to you're supposed to be like, you know, you're supposed to be like a hawk at the at the farmer's market. You're supposed to come down <laughs> and just scoop whatever take it home because, you know, and just throw it together, you yeah. know, and, and eat at the farmer's market. You know, right, I right. think people take that for granted. Like, I mean, go out there and grab some, you know, some sorrel leaves or something and, and you know, pick around and eat out there. That's true. So, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, I want to ask each one of you all, um, you know, what are there some some people that young young folks can look to for inspiration outside of yourselves? Who inspired you to become vegan? Who inspired you to change your lifestyle? Is it, and also, um, you know, obviously there's health reasons, but there's also some environmental and animal animal. Uh, uh, love of animal reasons, so some animal pride reasons to make these choices. So, if, you know, if each one of y'all could talk a little bit about that as well. Because I remember one of my first inspirations for going vegan or, or eating a more um, plant-based diet was Dick Gregory. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, was, it was Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory was first, and then second for me was um, Elijah Muhammad reading um, um, How to Eat to Live. So I remember being in high school and uh, getting introduced to those to those brothers and and um and their text and thinking you know I can really change my diet. My mother wasn't happy about it. My grandmother, you know, you know how I mean that's what it was for me. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm from the country. You know, we was eating raw milk and 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 wow. gathering eggs in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And um, you know they grew food too. So we eating we were eating a healthy diet, a whole foods diet, but we were still eating plenty of meat. You know, plenty of smoked turkey legs and and um, um, home cured bacon and all that kind of stuff. So. You know, so I have some joyful memories of all that. 
um, you know, but when I got to be in high school, I was like, you know, I'm changing my diet. I'm not eating, I'm not eating pork no more because Elijah Muhammad said that's uh, it's it's poisonous to the black man. You know what I'm talking about? I know, I know right. exactly. What you, you know, Dick Gregory I came in the same. I kind of came in the same way. Like I came in through KRS and Chuck D. Like uh-huh. that's how I got introduced to Elijah Muhammad and the Dick Gregory's. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, that's how I got introduced. And when KRS said, you know, no chicken, no turkey, no hamburger, because to me that's suicide, self murder. Right, you know what I'm right, saying? Right. So that's that's how I got introduced. And then you know he came back and did the song Beef, and then he was talking about how the animals are pumped with all these different drugs. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. how I got kicked in to the whole thing. Um, but then, but like now, it's so much. It's more. It's so much more commercial now and popular now that you have young artists. Um, who was it? Not Fetty Wap. Um, who's the young guy? Walker Flocker. Walker, Walker Flocker's yeah, into yeah. it. And you can see that you know the difference in in his lifestyle. Nelly was always. I always heard Nelly was vegan, and his whole crew like they go on tour and. You know, that's you better come with the vegan food. Like that's what I that's what I used to hear. Like um, wow. Nelly, yeah. So you you got a lot of people that that are out there. I mean, you hear Beyonce's out there um, with the mm-hmm. vegan stuff now. Russell uh, Simmons. Russell, Russell Simmons. Simmons. He's yeah, been absolutely. So advocate for a long time. And then I think the youth now are way more advanced um, because of technology and the internet and the access to so much information. You don't have to go to the library, whereas, like, you know, in the 90s, I mean, that was going to die off anyway. But, like, you still had to really go to the library and the bookstores to get information. Like, now, boom, it's on your phone. It's right there in your hand. And cats will research information right then and there. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's making it much more readily available to the youth and and much more... um, accessible in terms of of information to them Mm -hmm. so you know especially when i go to speak in schools like when i go to speak to the youth like they kind of already have an awareness and because like people like david like brenda they see people in the community that's doing it and then they own businesses and they're you know they're out on their own and that's what the that's what all the youth want to do all the youth want to own their own business business. they want to be the moguls the jay-z's you know they want to be the kanye's the inventors and the creatives and that's great you know so when they see people who are actually doing it now they, they stand in that attention and then you're talking about veganism and giving them the full aspect of veganism you know, we're the we're the, the youth inspiration, you know, right, right, right there accessible to them. So Right. What about you? Yeah, so for me it really came through like um more of a sacred body um spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um and I was doing a lot of research about <clears throat> you know, how to best feed the body and how mm-hmm. to honor the body and that kind of thing. And when I came across information that said, you know, eating, you know, dead animals was, you know, not going to be bringing life into right, your body. Right. And so you eat these vibrant living plants mm-hmm. and that that was the healthier choice. Um, it just made sense to me. Mm-hmm, it made mm-hmm. sense. And, and, and it really resonated. Um, and from there, I just decided to do it. I was a teenager. And, um, and so I, I had the audacity to think that I was going to figure it out. You know, right, being right, right. being born and raised very poor in the projects in Baltimore City, um, you know, I, I didn't have... It. No, well, I did. I just didn't have access. You know, my mm-hmm. mother was like, well, you go ahead and do that if that's what you're going to do, but uh, I'm not going to change anything over here. <laughs> right, you know? right. We still over here these pork chops. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, um, I initially did not have any idea what I was doing mm-hmm. and, uh, and no real guidance mm-hmm. the way that young people today... I mean, there's... You can get whole, like meal plans and oh, stuff yeah, like that and, and figure out really how to do this nowadays but um but yeah so so it was really for me it was more so from the perspective of doing right 
you know, by my 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 own body, and mm-hmm. and so that's how I, it, it came to be. And then, you know, as you're doing the research, as you're getting delving deeper and deeper into the lifestyle, you start to find out about the environmental impact right. of animal agriculture. You start to find out about all the horrible animal abuse mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. the animals are, are going through, who are you know in the industry, in the agriculture industry. And then it's just like it just makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, mine was more the health. My transition into veganism was more along the health route. Uh, because like I told you before, I had tendonitis, arthritis, early onset. Uh, I had the tendonitis. And all that's gone now. Yeah, like I stopped you got to make that clear. All yeah, that's gone. All that's gone, bro. You're not having no troubles at all? No. I have no tendonitis. I, my right hand, I couldn't make a complete fist, and they mm-hmm. had to tape these my pinky my ring finger and my middle finger together and tape it to my index finger so I can make a fist and play. Wow. And now I this hand is stronger than my, my left hand. My right hand is stronger than my left hand. Mm. But anyways, um, yeah, man, it was health for me because uh, a lot of the things that people don't know, people look up to football players like physical specimens. And right, right. You know, we're pillars of health and, you know, we're out there running, we're healthy, we work out all the time. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I wasn't the only player suffering from all of those those illnesses you know there's a lot of players who are on high blood pressure medication who are on painkillers just to get through the day and um you know and the, and then let's top it off the average death of a football player is 56, 56 years old. right it's 56 years old mm. and i have a brother who plays he actually plays here for the for the ravens and you know i this it, it, it's it's crazy to me it's like man you know like players are dying at age 56 but not because of yeah, yeah, CTE is an issue, but a lot of the players are dying because of heart disease, stroke. Mm-hmm. They're eating like Chick Fil A, right. McDonald's, and In and Out. Like after practice, I remember like going to In and Out and getting like four double doubles and <laughs> just going in, you know, because after practice you hungry. Yeah, you I know, know? you hungry. Or the team, hangry. the team will feed you. The team will feed you Popeye's chicken the day before the game. Wow. And, you know, this is why players are, are adopting these bad eating habits because they feel like they can make up for it on the back end mm-hmm. working out. And a lot of them do. But after you're done playing football and you're, you're, then you're not going – there ain't no and, way in hell you're going to work out that much. Right. And, those, and those habits, those eating habits are still set in. It's not, you're not going to change the eating habits. Right. And that's why when players are done and they're like, yeah, man, after football, players just die off. It's because – their body, your body needs to to rebuild itself mm-hmm. after all those years of trauma, and you're not giving yourself the fuel to to regenerate like you need to. And these players, that's why they dying off. Mm-hmm. And and this and it's and it's a real issue. So I'm, I've I've always been interested in this. Um, what is, and I don't know if this might be some um, sacred code you can't share, but I've always been interested in the professional athletes that have like a different lifestyle than. The, than everyone else in the in the locker room, what's that interaction like? What's the dynamic like? So you you coming into the locker room as a vegan, or or you going to the restaurant, or y'all sitting down to eat, you know, in some you know in, in some big cafeteria as a vegan, are cats cool with that, mm-hmm. or or do they kind of ridicule you? You know, is it kind of like like uh, um, high school locker room kind of? kind of jesting or are people like respectful like damn you know he's looking good i mean because i tell you brother you looking fantastic you know you don't look a day over 25 you know and you know you swole up you know i mean you know and it's an inspiration to my to my sons because you know one of my boys wants to play football he's not gonna get to play football but he wants to play football 
And he's looking at you, and he's like, man, this this dude look great. The players are very respectful of it because the reason why people look down on veganism is 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 there's so much because of the machismo around built around eating meat, eating meat, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know. You can't really say anything if you're looking at someone and you're trying to make fun of them for being vegan and being weak. And, you know, they like call the vegan stuff. But I'm bigger than you. But they can't really. But they're what? But what? So there's no there's no, you know, the players respect it. And it's like and then when they find out why I do it and it's like, wow. So I get a lot of the players, a lot of teammates like they like, man, we can't say nothing to you, bro. Like, good job, bro. You 300 pounds. You bench pressing. You standing here right next to me. Right. Um, you know, um or and then you tell them about the average depth of a football player, and then the, and then because I do so much research and so much study, so mm-hmm. I sit there and talk to them, and it comes to the point where a lot of the players come up to me for like advice, like I want to lose some weight or I want to start mm-hmm. getting more healthy. Mm-hmm. My back is hurting, my joints hurt. How can I? What can I use? To, what can I eat to help my joints out? You know, because they're going to the doctors, the team doctors, and you know the team doctors, you know they're going to tell you. Uh, here, take this. Right. Take this. Take right, this. Right. Not, you know, you should try and eat better, drink more water drink because more water. of this. Right. But take this and it'll help get rid of that. But no, and the players know that they're getting stuff like uh, Celebrex and they know that that messes up. And they um, they they know and it's just like, uh, but when, and to see, and it's really like, I feel like they see it as a breath of fresh air because it's like, man, you know, there is another way. It can mm-hmm. be healthier. We don't have to uh, be trapped by these these pills that they're giving us and these doctors are forcing this these this onto us and you know just so we can make it through there's another way that we could do it right so, so. players are open to it it's just that the information oh, yeah. is not it's not there it's not because it's you not have there. to see you have to see like who sponsors the NFL and the, yeah the league's not pushing this kind no, of information the, the, mm-hmm. the NFL like there's vegan players that have been going in and out of the NFL and they know that it's an issue but you have to see like who's padding their pockets and it's the it's the milk and dairy industry Papa mm-hmm. John's is a big sponsor of them mm-hmm. you know Muscle Milk all these guys mm-hmm. so you know that's how that goes the mm. beer companies the the yeah the beer, the beer, the beer companies. companies I mean you go to any football you know you go to football oh, games and, football game. and that's what it is right. hot dog brought, brought Johnsonville Johnsonville right oh well, yeah that's so, right the Super Bowl is the is I think they sell more meat than Thanksgiving Wow! Because it's you know it's a big holiday. That makes you know? sense. That's it's, it's people barbecue like a it's, Yeah, they 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 were running some stats the other day about the um just the the NFL and the Super Bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl is major, right? Major. It's I mean, a, you look at the sponsors, how much they pay, um, the parties that go on. I mean, right. bro, yeah, it, so they much. make more money than 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 a lot of the sports like. <laughs> Come on, yeah, right? Like yeah, oh, yeah, they clean up, right? And they pay their players less. I'm not gonna get into all that. We'll save that for <laughs> save that for another another episode. No so I saw so I, I I saw a picture of you uh, uh, petting on a horse. You own some horses? You got not, some animals? <laughs> I have friends with. Uh, I, I don't own. I have a dog. I have a. I guess you could say I have a horse. He's a Great Dane. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, okay. But no, I have a friend in Costa Rica. They have a uh, you know a range, and they just. They have the horses and they just run on run uh-huh. on the land and they uh, you know we just went in there and we were just hanging out with the horses and and took some pictures and stuff but uh, okay. I do like horses man but 
uh, yeah. That's I don't cool. ride them. I'm too big, man. I feel I feel bad for a horse. If I to get on. Yeah, horses are strong. Man. Yeah, a weight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Weight. So what's your weight up to now? Where are you at now? Right now I'm 290. Right now 290. So so you still can legitimately be the 300 pound vegan. Yeah, I'm gonna stay here. This is like my weight, man. You okay. know, because I lift. I love to lift. I love to lift weights and I love to eat. So I mean, it's not gonna be hard to stay here for me. So. <laughs> Did you peep uh, Kendrick Ferris in the? In yeah, the, uh, man. Did you? Man, that was so Do you know impressive. him? No, I don't. I want to. That dude is cool, man. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And, you know, that just shows, man, that's great. You know, another player, another player, another another man and black man, mm-hmm. you know, showing out like that. I think that's amazing. And that's what the, the world needs to see. Like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, vegans are, you know, we're dominating. We're going to dominate all levels of this. Olympic level, we're going to show it. We're going to speak out. So That's what's up. I like that's that. That's what's up. So, so the Vegan Soul Fest this this weekend. This weekend, August the twentieth. Yes, sir. At B Triple C. B Triple C. Twenty nine hundred one Liberty Heights Avenue. Twelve to seven. Twelve to seven. Come out. Come out. Spend some money. Have a good time. You know, it's gonna be a ton of food vendors. Obviously, I'm gonna promote the land of Kush, but I mean, it's like thirty what thirty food vendors. Thirty food vendors. Sixty. Sixty. Double that. Sixty. Yeah. Sixty vegan food vendors. It's gonna be. I mean, and and the variety. It's not just. You know, hot foods. I mean, you got people with smoothies out there, raw foods out there. You got ices, um, all kind of. You got desserts that are going to be out there. You got all just such a range of food, you know, for seven hours. And it's a free event. Come out there and hang out. Have a good time. And and, and come ready to learn, yeah, you know, yeah, because we're going to have people out there who are ready to teach every aspect of the vegan lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So bring your pad, bring your pencil, you know, get ready to learn something. Yeah. And if you if you are afraid of it, don't be don't be scared of the vegan diet. <laughs> don't be scared of the <laughs> vegan lifestyle, because I'm trying to tell you, like, if you look, it's just good for black people, brown people. We need it. People, period, need it. People are dying left and right. Mm-hmm. Um you know, black people, we lead in heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer, right, obesity. We're leading all the wrong categories. All the wrong categories. All the wrong categories. And we're only, how many, what, they say like 17% of the population, mm-hmm. but we're leading in all the categories. There's something's wrong. We've been taught wrong. So we need to be, we need to reteach ourselves. And like you said, Brenda, we need to become ready to learn because we've been taught that soul food is good food. And soul food is actually slavery food. If you research and find out where slavery, where soul food came from, it came from slaves getting the scraps and the leftovers. And it's a tradition that we've kept up. And not all traditions are good traditions because Mm. slavery was a tradition. So, you know, we have to, you know, be ready to we can come out and learn and and absorb some of this knowledge and re and reteach ourselves how to eat healthy because there's too much and be like you said people are tired of being sick and tired and we can't be sick no more. That's right. That's right. David is going to be speaking um, at three o'clock. He's going to be talking about the oppression that's built into the food system. You uh, know that okay. we are the victim of. That's Saturday at three o'clock. At three. So David Carter speaking. Saturday, 3 o'clock. That's right. About the oppression of the food system. Yeah, man, it's deep. Appreciate y'all. So this is uh, Denzel Mitchell sitting in for Mark Steiner for Sound Bites. Uh, Thanks for listening.
Welcome back. Listen to Sound Bites right here on the Mark Steiner Show, produced in Baltimore, out of your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio. We're about to have a conversation with Willie Flowers, who is executive director of the Park Heights Community Health Alliance. And as we have over the last several years, talking about the farm they've created in Park Heights and the issues of health and also this remarkable CSA to see where it is this year. The pictures I've been seeing on Facebook have just been astounding of all the people coming down to Park Heights to work. Really good to see you, man. Welcome. Yeah, good to see you again. So how many years is this that the farm has been? This is um, um, probably seven years of uh, real production. Wow. And um, we've sustained it for that long. Um, we always tell the story about the first year where we didn't produce what is the, what was, What's the story about the first year? <laughs> the story about the first year was <laughs> we had some um, working with um, a huge volunteer day. Uh, at the time, the mayor was uh, Mayor Dixon and Hope Williams organized America Online to do like a huge like 100-person volunteer day. And we knew that we, we could have um, a lot of work done. In one day with all that. So we had planned to have this uh, topsoil uh, brought in. But at the last minute, the um, contractor wouldn't drive up the hill because of the truck. And I'm thinking, like, you know, this is a truck. But he wouldn't do it. And at the last minute, um, uh, Ed Miller was on helping us with civic works. And I said, Ed, can you pull a rabbit out of a hat? And he um, he called the contractor immediately. And they were able to bring some topsoil over. What we didn't know, and it was it saved the day. But we, what we didn't know was it didn't have it didn't have any nutrients in the soil, so <laughs> <laughs> we didn't grow anything the first year. <laughs> but uh, by the second year, we had uh, we learned about. Um, did, did any of you know about farming when you started this? Uh, well, everybody had a, a a little idea. We knew to get plants, but you know we had our own idea of um, how to set it up. We wanted to do everybody have their own plot uh karen evans was involved and um the first year was much of that so we had some idea she had done the master gardener program and on another site we had uh, another effort but uh so it was a sad experience after a few weeks (laughs) but the following year you know i consulted with a lot of people i actually did the master gardener program oh you uh, did myself Mm -hmm. and i met larry close um, who's like the Johnny Appleseed of uh, uh, community gardening. And I talked to uh, uh, Denzel. He told me about mushroom compost. And, uh, you know, that stuff works magic, you know. So since then, we've been producing at a pretty high level. And, you know, and everybody's been enjoying it. But when did the CSA start? The CSA did not start. It's, it kind of grew to be like a paid CSA because we had to um, figure out a way to pay for for everything because, you know, uh, long stopped being a believer in grant funding always being there. So we at least wanted to pay for the supplies and the plants and the seeds, and that's kind of what the front-end payment does. So the first year we had good production, you know, we got a little confidence and, as the young people say, swag. <laughs> and um, so it kind of led from just being a bunch of people on Saturdays producing food and taking it home to, because everybody couldn't always be there, to kind of operationalizing it. And, you know, we called it Growing um, Food Together, CSA, 
to because that's a, that's basically all we were doing initially. And the concept actually came from Larry Close because a lot of community gardens do individual beds where people or families have a bed. But that doesn't always work because everybody's not as committed. You know, people go on vacation, people get sick. So his idea was to bring everybody in on one day, one or two days of the week and work together. And one of those days you um, uh, harvest the food and share it. And um, so that was the basic concept. But we had people who could not literally um, come to, you know, to work. So, um, but they were open to paying for it. In fact, they would give us donations, you know, so... Um, we looked at everybody else's CSAs, the traditional CSAs, you know, is with a farmer who, you know, you can pay into um, um, his farm. And we just it's expensive four or five, six hundred exactly, dollars a year exactly. or a season three to four hundred dollars a year. Right. right. So we, um, you know, beat the price. We had the land. So we're not paying for as much as farmers are. Um, I think the time is probably the same. <laughs> but um, but so that's how it got started. So we're, you know, we, we've been rocking that for that method for probably three years officially. And, um, it's, you know, it's going well. well. I know we've covered the CSA the last few years anyway, the last couple of years. Um, and that's just for the listeners who don't know it. I mean, the Park Hedge community being a working class community, black community, I mean, this CSA is very different. I mean, in terms of what you charge much and how that whole right. thing works. And, right. And, um, you know, it is. But once people... It's kind of hard to imagine paying, you know, our top price is three fifty up front for, you know, food that you don't know you're going to get. And it is a faith effort because anything could happen, you know, uh, any, you know, it can be, you know, anything could happen. So you just putting faith in the fact that we can pull it off. And, um, you know, the only complaint we've ever had is that, you know, people get too much food and they have to reduce their, uh, you know, the, the amount. So. We haven't had any major, you know, disappointments in that regard at this point. You know, we have pretty good water access, so that accounts for a lot of it. But doesn't uh, don't you have a system where people like pay can pay fifteen dollars a month or whatever? Yeah, they can they can pay um, what they you know we we you know at the end of the day um, we want people to eat it right you know so we we give away a lot of food we do what we consider uh, community shares of particularly senior citizens who may not be able to afford it. Um, and we make plans to not only give it to them, but we'll deliver it to to them. And um, families who ask for it, you know, we're not rigid in that regard. So we want to make it possible for everybody. I mean, we, you know, oftentimes have food left over. Uh, because when you get into the season, like I said, people go on vacation and this kind of thing, so they can't come pick up their share. And it's kind of a commitment because the convenience of a grocery store is you can go any time. Right. But um, once we, you know, we close it up, you know, you got to wait until the next next day. So we do two um, pickup days a week and um, hoping that, it, you know, somebody can get 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 their day right. And like I said, it's 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 it, it was tough for me when I was participating in a CSA, and and my day was a Friday, and I just could never make it every day. I had the same know? issue, yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> so, I want to take a step back a minute before we go back into what's happening right now with the farm and the CSA, because it made me think about a conversation we were having back and forth this week that that um, by email about your and others who I would imagine kind of founding philosophy on the idea of healthy eating and what's lacking, especially in, 
in poor working class black communities with access to food is kind of there was a, there's an underlying real issue and, and ideology that you have here with this. Yeah, I mean, it's basic for me. I mean, in my situation, um, and, you know, I have to get personal because it's kind of why I do this. But I have a 95 and a 96 year old grandmother. And wow. um, both Nancy Flowers is 96 and my grandmother, Katherine Waters, is 95. And they're, they've outlived their kids, some of their kids, and they're healthier than some of their kids. <laughs> and, um, and I think the reason for it is, and I just heard uh, Michael Twitty today uh, oh, yes. talk about the legacy of food in the black community and uh, the uh, portion control, forced portion control. And um, I, I do believe that because uh, they were, you know, they su- were sustained on um, a little food, but it's always the better parts of the food. You know, it could just be beans and rice. It could be collard greens, beans and rice. Uh, but a large meal was, you know, uh, a very, you know, not that it was rare, but you did it around celebratory uh, times of the year. And, um, you know, Sunday dinner was a big dinner. And even with that, the steak that you eat at Ruth Chris was a steak that could feed like 12 people. But now people are actually sitting down eating that whole steak. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, we just don't need to do that all the time, you know, but people are doing it. And they, they uh, have, you know, people have uh, resources enough, whether they are black or white, to eat a steak every day. And I don't I don't know if that's going to end well. In some kind of way, um, it is better to, you know, consider your portions in that regard, regardless of how you feel about consumption of animal protein. So, but but the idea of, of actually being able to control, the community being able to control its food right. source. And- In this case, it's the case that we have a lot of land and um, our lots, rather, that are not being used. So, the, you know, the energy, I think, should be put behind making those lots into food. And that's that's kind of what we've done. And if we had more resources, we could do more. But, um, you know, getting people to buy into that is the the missing piece. Uh, the community organizing side of it is a, is a challenge because it's time-consuming. And when you're growing food, you can't do both. But, yeah, I, I wish it were the case that um, we could enlighten people on what to do in lots. And it's happening. It's happening one way or the other. But I do think more resources should be, be there to pull pull it off and the protections that go with it. The city has a process. Um, I don't think there really should be a process. But I think that, you know, if there's an empty lot that's going to grow weeds all summer long, that, that, that lot can grow tomatoes and um, people can be healthier from eating what they grow. And the uh, all the nutrients that come out of the ground are good. Are you just how are you doing this? I mean, you, you if you expanded this year, you're taking over more. We've lots? Um, we we're up to about two acres this year. We wow. collaborate with the Park Heights uh, Renaissance on a, a a plot with two hoop houses. Um, they they got funding for several years ago, so we we're growing out of the hoops. Um, we have a, probably another half acre in ground that we're growing out of. And plan to produce a lot of food. We have like a half acre on our site, and another plot where we're doing potatoes um, and and herbs. And so, you know, we're gonna have a lot of fun. We did um, about ten thousand pounds of food last year, and looks like we're gonna have more than that this year. But we've, you know, we've we we try to target around fifty 
families in our CSA. We're almost there. Um, you know, people come and go throughout the year, but that's our target, our baseline number. You, so remember one time you were talking about even chickens. Um, well, eggs, that's that going to take – well, we've, we've, we, we have – it turns out we have fox – foxes on each one of these sites because we're close to the Silburn or uh, Gwens Falls Trail. Um, so I don't know about the, the chickens. Um, we, we Everybody <laughs> who uh, comes around, they can they want to do it. And I, I don't know if that uh, would would last long. You know, we can build a coop and yeah, keep we, out there. Yeah, we can build it. It's just the same thing about this gardening stuff. You still got to sustain it. Somebody's got to get out there. And so do you have a full-time person working on the farm now? Or you, or is it, we kind of have it? a balance of um, volunteer volunteers. Um, I'm out there, um, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of days. But we have a, a, a substantial volunteer group that kind of just came about, and we're happy about that. So um, – we're able to sustain those um, two significant sites uh, with um, um, some people who are uh, retirees and uh, folks who just love gardening, and we're able to um, to pull it off. I'm really curious about the, the the other piece of this for you, which is this. You know, you talked about the empty lots in the city, and and thinking about the your kind of vision and the vision people have about what can really happen in this town with all this empty lots. I mean, I saw a piece in the paper that's in the Baltimore Brew. Um, by Mark Reuter the other day, where he said that it's not eight fifteen thousand. He looked at the zip codes and I mean, looked at the postal delivery rates from the post office and said there are at least fifty thousand abandoned houses in the city of Baltimore. Fifty thousand. Yeah, I think we got twenty five hundred in the area. Of at Park least Heights. in Park yeah. Heights, right? And also probably an equal, if not greater, number of of, of empty lots. So what's the idea about your, your the vision about what could be in the city? You've got you doing your work there. I mean, Heber Brown's got his food, uh, church food security network happening. Um, our friends, the Blues, have their farm. So what, mm. how does that all fit together? I mean, everybody is – every one of those you just named are different. Um, ours is private. Our site, our demonstration garden on our Athea community teaching garden is um, – we own that land. Um, the woodland site is – you know, technically owned by the city. The Blues have private land, and I'm sure Heber is using um, church, church land. land. Right. So we're kind of lucky because we could be doing this even with the old law. But it is the case that people uh, have a challenge getting onto city-owned land, and that, but there's a process. They might not know about it, but I just think that, you know, I think people should just quiet and grow food. You know, I'm 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 not that that's 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 a, a radical idea, but it's more radical to um, not have access to food and to, to die from something that uh is is curable or preventable. Um so um I just I would encourage everybody just grab a, a a piece of land if it's owned by the city, if it's owned by somebody private, uh talk to them, get it and grow food. Um I don't think anybody's going to be upset about that if you're uh, because if they haven't been taking care of it and you have weeds throughout the spring and summer, I think a well manicured, you know, five or six rows wouldn't hurt anything. So what was this on the Facebook page we had the other day? I was really interested that um, um, you had Eric Jackson there, but that the Walter Robb, CEO of Whole Foods, right? Came. He um, he came to our um, campus yesterday. He was invited on a tour by Eric Jackson, um, and Eric Jackson is doing, local activist. Exactly. He's doing work in, in the, in the, on the food justice front. And, um, 
he just wanted to um, a site to do a discussion. This was a um, multiple meeting because he met with uh, Eric, um, and then he met with um, Tiffany Welch's organization called uh, uh, I forget the Boundaries or No Boundaries, no boundaries, no boundaries right, Coalition. No Boundaries Coalition, who's right. doing work at Pennsylvania Avenue. So we were just um, a part of it, but he was there, and he's. Uh, they seem to be very excited about choosing a location for um, whole cities. I think they call it um, effort in in West Baltimore somewhere. So uh, they were very open about their interests and about their mentality of um, not being um, gentrifiers, but being a wholesome part of the community. Uh, by you know determining the best way to do it and not just coming in and building something, so it was a good meeting. Um, and I think Eric Jackson is kind of the um, point person in Baltimore for that effort, and uh, hopefully something good will come out of it. A lot of cities have attempted, people have attempted across the country in Detroit and other places to rebuild an urban agricultural movement that actually feeds people and gets things and, and, and changes the landscape, um, and they've often had a hard time doing it, but we seem to have, there just seems to be a lot of energy in this city. Right. The people doing the things I just described, you know, the Heber and mm-hmm. Brown and and, and, um, and other kind of places around, people I've run into who are doing, raising hydroponics on Greenmount Avenue to people who are raising tilapia in a place we won't disclose in Sandtown, mm-hmm. the, to feeding people and selling food. I mean, it seems to me that there's such a momentum from the bottom up here, which is different in other cities. Right. We got to harness that somehow. Well, I think it's it's just a matter of making it easy, and I I I believe that when more people um, uh, in their community who they can identify with do it, and they can make it sound easy, uh, more people will do it. And of course, if they eat the food and understand the benefit of the food, because I don't think I don't, you know, I'll say this because I do understand where there is a need of um, having startup money to do a lot of this. Um, but it's not a lot of money, um, and all the guidance is there. They just need, you know, people need the resources. And uh, one thing I'm always struck by is the intimidation factor of, you know, you know, doing your own food or even buying quality food. But when I drive up and down the streets in Baltimore, everybody's got on new clothes. Nobody is naked. And so I just think that when we start putting value in what we put into our food as a, into our bodies as opposed to what we put on, wear on our bodies, that we'll have some sense of um, how we can avoid chronic disease and um, be healthier and save money. Because if you can grow your food, um, there's a family in um, who helped us get our uh, garden off the ground, Natty, Natalie Finneger, who is the um, deputy director at the Office of the Public Defender. Uh-huh. And oh, yeah, right, right. her family, uh, they at one point were growing, eating out of their garden for up to nine months of the year. And they have the benefit and access enough to, like, do their own meats throughout the year. Uh, they're, like, you know, uh, tremendously uh, a high percentage sustainable um, without, you know, the need of grocery stores. I think she just jokes about having to go get flour from the grocery store during some periods. And I think that, you know, and, uh, and Larry Close and his family have done the same thing for years. I think there's some value in that. It's, um, I don't think it is as much work as we think it is because we've been all been taken away from, you know, doing our own, 
uh, uh, stuff, but that little, the little time that's in it is, it beats the time you're, you know, you're waiting in line at McDonald's. Right. So, and McDonald's is, 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 and fast foods are often the preferred way of getting nutrition in this world. Right. right? And it, I don't know what happened. <laughs> so, but, but the model you're talking about here, I mean, it's, it, it sounds, some of us say, oh, that's far fetched, but maybe really not when you're, Think about if that if you had, um, for want of a better term, a hundred people living in a community, and you were able to get right. ten or fifteen people who actually were growing food to sustain themselves and others. I mean, that's a, that's not an impossible idea, right? We, I mean, we're. I think we're going to prove it um, with our, you know, the amount of food that we have coming out. We have some multiple collard greens. We have a lot of. Greens, so um, I, I don't think I love greens. Greens is yeah, good. We got all. <laughs> Types of greens, you know, kale, collards, uh, cabbages, uh, the spinach, all that stuff coming up. Um, so, it, I mean, hopefully it will ha- we have as many hands around as we have um, in the uh, CSA or who have volunteered with us so that we can share it all and inspire some people to do the same thing. That's exciting. We'll have to check that out too. So I think we need to do just a continuing story on Park Heights and what's happening with yeah, so. food and health. And well, we'll uh, come come sometime in June. We'll do another piece of story here. And Willie Flowers, thanks so much, man, for stopping right. by. Thanks for inviting me. It's always fun. The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our producers are Stephanie Mavronis and Mark Gunner. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our engineer at Marvel Public Radio is Christopher Rank. Our theme music is by Walt Matthews. Podcast The Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. You can also learn more about Soundbites and listen to past episodes at soundbitesradio.org. For your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and WSDL 90.7 FM, the Marvel Public Radio, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.